6. So if you turn there, if you have your Bibles in front of you, it's Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 20. Oh, it's 27, sorry, 27 to 30. 27 to 30. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. This is the word of God. Let me just pray for us before John comes to read from God's word. God, we just want to thank you this morning for who you are. You are creator God, you made the heavens and the earth, Lord. Uh, You made uh, the mountains, the seas, uh, and you made us in your own image this morning. But uh, this morning we do look around us, Lord, and we see that the the pain of sin is everywhere, Lord. And this morning we want to especially pray for the country of Morocco and those that live within it after this devastating earthquake that has affected so many people's lives and taken so many. We pray, Lord, that in that disaster, Lord, that you would be working, Lord, that you would be close to those that have been bereaved, that you would give strength to those that are searching for loved ones. We pray, Lord, that your church there would be strong in this moment, Lord, that you would be giving them the strength um, to see, uh, just to be your hands in that awful, awful situation, Lord. Be close to those that are affected, I pray, this morning. And we thank you, God, that uh, for our young people this morning, we thank you for those that have moved on to, to secondary school especially, Lord, and I pray that you be with them as they settle into to a new rhythm of, of school life. We pray for the friendships that they will be forming uh, with so many, Lord, and I pray that uh, you would grant them just uh, wisdom, Lord, and the ability to, to make wise choices in, in friendships uh, and help them to be bold in their faith um, as they face new challenges in, in school life. And we pray for just us this morning, Lord. I thank you that for those that are in Christ, Lord, that you've taken away our heart of stone and given us a new heart. And we pray that as we hear from your word, Lord, and hear what John shares with us this morning, that you would grant us with soft hearts this morning. We thank you, Lord, that your word um, doesn't uh, just give us laws to follow, Lord, but it asks us to, to have hearts that are longing after you. It calls us to have hearts that are drawn towards Christ-likeness. And so we pray that this morning. Help us to, to really um, draw strength from your word in order to see uh, just new hearts born within us, Lord hearts that follow you. And we pray that for our kids' spaces as well, Lord. I pray that the teachers there would speak from your word clearly and uh, kids would uh, just understand more about who you are, how much they are loved by you, their Savior and Lord. So be with us this morning. Help us to, uh, yeah, just hear with open ears uh, what you have to say to us this morning. Amen. Thanks, John. Good morning again, everyone. Uh, Good to be with you this morning as we continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, If this is your first time with us today, if you're joining us for the first time, or 
Uh, you're welcome. Uh, welcome again. I didn't officially say it last week, but welcome to the first years in high school here amongst us. Uh, in the text today, what we have is lust, hell, and self-mutilation. Excellent. Uh, you're welcome to Cornerstone. Uh, why the Holy Spirit of God led me, or why I decided to preach a, ser a series on the Sermon on the Mount, I have been debating this week, but uh, here we are. A reminder of last week, before we get going in today, because the two flew very much uh, together. A reminder of what was said last week, and, and the cliche that we sort of looked at last week was, a heart, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And Jesus goes after the heart. That's what he's doing. Last week, we, we looked at the fact that it is possible to murder without taking a, a physical life. It is possible to murder by thought. It is possible to murder with the tongue. It is possible to murder by death, by a thousand cuts. It is our heart that Jesus is concerned with, not simply the outward actions that we do. And so we arrive at this passage today on lust. You have heard it said to those of old, there we have that phrase again that Jesus uses, these six, six I, can't, I still can't say it, I've been practicing all week, the six antithesis, the six antithesis, if I said it really slow, I can say it. This, these, you have heard it said of old, but I say to you, here we have the second one. You have heard it said of old that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Before we start, before we even get into the text, before I start explaining the text or what the text means, let me just be clear. When Jesus says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman, right, he is not simply addressing the man in front of him. This is an issue for women every bit as much as it is for men. And so, wives, none of this today, all right? None of, are you hearing what he's saying? It is an issue for us all. Remember the context to which Jesus speaks as He speaks the Sermon on the Mount. He is speaking to two to, to primary audiences. He's speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are on the fringes, but He's speaking to a group of ordinary, everyday people who are right in front of Him. And when they, when they hear this, they, don't, they wouldn't have heard it just as a man. Just, oh, this is just for the men, it's not for the women. They would have heard it as for everyone. So we have to hear it as for everyone. You have heard it said that those of, of, of those of old. Now, Jesus deals with here. He's going on to deal. He dealt with what they'd heard about murder. He's now going on to deal with what they've heard about adultery. And again, a reminder from last week, that phrase, you have heard it of those of old. These are people who have not studied the Scriptures for themselves. These are people who have had an interpretation of the Scriptures given to them by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So, he's going to speak about adultery. 
And of course, the teachers of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, taught that adultery was wrong. They taught that. It wasn't as if they didn't teach that that itself was wrong. But they applied the law only to the act. They applied the law only to the act itself, the actions, and not to the heart. And again, just as we saw with murder, it is this idea of the line. As long as I don't do that, then I'll be okay. As long as I don't commit the act, then I'm okay. But Jesus is interested in far more than our external actions. Jesus says, whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And Jesus explains that it is possible to commit adultery or murder from last week in our minds and in our hearts. With the words, whoever looks at a woman, Jesus locates the origin back to the eyes. And the argument is pretty irrefutable. The act of adultery, Jesus says, is a bad thing. He is, he's reaffirming that part of the law. He's saying that, that adultery is wrong, but where Jesus drops, as it were, this spiritual sort of bomb into the middle of this sermon that is devastating in its impact is that He is contrasting His words to those of old, and He's saying, but I tell you, everyone who looks Everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery. You see, Jesus takes this to a place that the audience would never have expected him to take it. Jesus takes it right back to the heart. They didn't expect him to do that. They didn't see it coming. And once more, we are confronted with the unavoidable and undeniable truth that the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. You conceal lust in your heart, but you count yourself as righteous because you have not followed through on the act. How many in this room think that they are potentially better than someone else because they have never followed through on the act but have the lust in their hearts. How many of us in here today look at people who have committed adultery and look down on them, knowing fine well what our hearts are like. Knowing fine well what we conceal inside. Knowing fine well the thoughts that we have. Knowing fine well what goes on in our imaginations. Knowing, fine, knowing all those things. We still manage somehow to look down on others who have committed the act of adultery. 
And Jesus just comes out and says, not on your life. You, you Pharisees, you, you religious people who are on the fringes here of this sermon, he's saying, you think you have it sorted because maybe you haven't, you haven't actually committed the, the, the act. Or here, here's even, here's even one step further. Maybe you haven't been caught committing the act. But you have lost in your heart. How dare you? How dare you look down on anyone knowing your heart? The word looks here, whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent, it is not just a glance. It's not just a glance. It is, a, it is translated in the present participle, which could be translated keeps on looking, keeps on looking, is transfixed. It is the act of objectifying another person to whom you are not married. The gaze is not a glance. The gaze excites the imagination. It, it does something in the heart when we mentally engage in this act that is to be reserved for marriage. David Dockery and David Garland are blunt in their, but accurate in their assessment when they say this. The man, this, in this context, the man lusts her. He adulterates her. The woman is made into an object. You see, the, the thing about lust is it is a completely self-centered act It is selfish. It objectifies. It, it treats other people as things to be exploited and to be objectified and to be used. The heart is the problem. And it has to be dealt with. There is no point going any further. There is no point going any further in this sermon if we do not deal with the root issue of the problem, and the root issue of the problem is the heart. The Bible tells us, Scriptures tell us that the heart is deceitful above all things and cannot be trusted. So it must be dealt with. So, I forgot to say this at the start, but, but if, you're, if you're a note-taker, maybe you'll take it after. But, 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 but the first point here is this. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. It's the problem. It's the issue. Now, for those who are in Christ, for those who have uh, surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, what we're told in Scripture is what we have been given a what? A new heart. We have been given a new heart, and that new heart, and I'll come back to this at the end, but that new heart has, has different affections, has different desires, has, has different longings, and those different affections and those different longings and those different desires are for Christ. 
So guard your heart. Further on, later on, we're going to look at some practical things that, that we may need to do to do this. But, but that, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, and it must be guarded above all else. So Jesus says here, those who look, but everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Guard your heart. The next point here is this, verse 5, 29. Jesus then moves from this problem of the look, the eyes, uh, looking on someone, objectifying someone for, for your own desires for your own lust, for your own purposes, selfishly, he then moves into this, these, these two metaphors, if you will. Let me read them. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. The thing is, you see, you can have lust in your heart without your eyes, but your eyes sure make that sinful lust a lot easier. And Jesus moves to address this issue. In star, he, what he does is he uses what, what is known as a literary in a literary term, it's hyperbole. Jesus does this all the time. If you, if, you, if you walk through the Gospels, you'll see him do it all the time. He uses this, this literary tool called hyperbole, which is to over-exaggerate, to make his point. And the reason he, he uses this hyperbole to make his point is because he wants us to know how stark this is, how serious this is, how serious he's taking the issue of sin, and how seriously he wants us to take the issue of sin. And so he exaggerates. He uses these, this stark language, this shocking term. Now, what we tend to do and what we could do is, is fall to the temptation to water down what Jesus says here and thereby miss the, miss the impact that Jesus wants to have. Jesus uses these two of the eyes and then the hand, these vivid illustrations, and they both end up in the same place. They both end up warning about hell. They both end up warning about hell. The bottom line, sinful lust, unrepented of, will lead you to hell. It will not deliver what it promises. It will not make you happy. And Jesus says, it will lead you to hell. So if necessary, and it may be necessary, take whatever steps you need to take to cut it out. That's what he's saying. Take whatever steps you need to take to cut it out, to deal with sinful lust. Sinclair Ferguson says this, act decisively, act immediately, even if it is painful. The drastic nature of the remedy is simply the index of the radical danger of sin. 
It is not a situation for negotiation. How many of us struggle with this issue that we're talking about today or another issue that we know we have in our lives and we say, tomorrow, I, I will do that tomorrow. I will do whatever I need to do tomorrow. I will fix it in the morning. Monday is a new week. Let's go again. Let's start. No, the Bible never speaks in terms of tomorrow. The Bible only speaks in terms of today. The Bible, the Bible never tells us that we're going to get tomorrow. So, so the Bible always says, do it today. Why put off until tomorrow what you can do today? Why not take the steps that you need to put in place? Why not, why not do the things that we need to do today to cut this out? Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, turn it out and throw it away. The phrase, causes you to sin, literally means causes you to stumble. It's a Greek word. It's in the present tense, causes you to stumble. This idea, if, if your eye keeps on causing you to stumble, what are you to do? Cut it out. Get rid of it. The idea here is if it keeps on causing you to stumble into, into lustful sin, which leads you to hell, you would be wise and better off to tear it out and throw it away. It is better, far better to throw away an eye than to have your whole body thrown into hell. Now, over the years, uh, there have been some people who have taken this tax quite literally. Wrongly, let me just add. One of the early church fathers, uh, a guy called Origen, who struggled, obviously, with the, 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 the sin of lust, what he did was he rolled naked over sharp briars. However, when that failed to cure him of his sexual lust, he took a drastic step of castrating himself. I'm not going to go into the detail of what that means. If you don't know what that means, come and speak to me afterwards, all right? I'm not, there's first year, I'm not doing it, all right? Funny enough, he would later regret that decision and conclude that he misinterpreted the text. That's not great, like that's, to be fair, to be fair, that's a bit of a mistake. Now, I, I, I really, I, I don't want any calls to the Royal this afternoon or any calls to any Craig Alvin or whatever. I don't, I don't want that call. But here's the thing, Origen got it wrong, but at least he took it seriously. Origen got it wrong, but at least he took it seriously. He did misunderstand the text. The real problem lay not with his eye or his genitals. The real problem lay with his heart. Though the, the eyes can see and the eyes can certainly entice the heart, but as I said, you can have lust in your heart without your eyes. The key to spiritual victory in this area is not a mutilated, mutilated eye or a mutilated hand. 
But let me ask you this, and let me ask us together. Are we taking the steps required to protect our eyes? For some, that will mean putting filters on your internet access. Because the reality is, and I'm going to say this in a wee minute or two, but the reality is in a room this size, of the amount of people in this room, I have no doubt, going by the statistics, that there are people in this room who are addicted to pornography. There are people in this room who struggle with pornography. You need to radically take steps to cut that out. And that radical step may mean that you may need to put filters on your computer. You may need to delete some of your social media accounts. Do whatever you need to do, Jesus is saying. As I say, Jesus is using hyperbole here, as he often does, to get the point across. But the point is this, sin is serious. Jesus takes it seriously, and so should we. And we must do what we need to do to cut it out. You need to figure that out, whatever that may be for yourself. Protect your eyes. Thirdly, first one, guard your heart. Second one, protect your eyes. Thirdly, watch your hands. Verse 30 reinforces verse 29. Dockery and Garland again. Sin is serious business. We are to perform radical surgery on anything that would cut us, cause us to be cut off from eternal life. Jesus moves from his warning from the right eye to the right hand. And the, some commentators suggest that the, the reason for this illustration about the hand is because when, when Jesus is talking about adultery here, it is an act of taking you are taking something that doesn't belong to you. And so we are to cut off, and, and, and that's why some people think that Jesus uses this illustration of the hand. If your right hand becomes a stumbling block to you, it is better and it is, it is more beneficial to cut it off and throw it away. The reasoning is the same. It is better for you to lose one of your members of your body than to be thrown into hell. That's, it's the same reasoning. They end up in the same place. It is better to experience a temporal loss than an eternal loss. I, I, I don't know, folks, if I have the words or I have the capability this morning to get across to you just how serious this is. The stakes are so high. There is so much on the line. If Jesus takes it as seriously as this, so should we. Interesting here to note that, that how all of what Jesus is saying here is, is a package deal with the heart. It always comes back to the heart. The eyes can entice the heart. The hands can act. But, but it is the heart that everything comes from. The hand acts in response to what the heart wants it to do.
This is why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 8, that we need to gain and pursue a pure heart. And a pure heart we can only receive as a gift of grace from Him. John Owen, one of the Puritans, wrote a, a, a very, it's a brilliant small book called The Mortification of, 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 of Sin. But he said this, this is one of the standout lines in that book. He said this, you must be killing sin or sin will be killing you. You must be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Jesus would add, sin will be killing you and sending you to hell. This is serious business. As I say, Sinclair Ferguson has been really helpful this week, just in, in, in really practical things uh, that we can do. And so I want to give you, Sinclair Ferguson gives us four, and then I want to add one to it. Uh, if this is something you're struggling with, if, if this is an issue in your life, then listen to this from, from Sinclair Ferguson. First of all, what are we to do? Four things. Realize where yielding to sinful lust will lead you. Realize where yielding to sinful lust will lead you. Jesus is unequivocal. It will lead you to hell. Plant that in your mind and recall it over and over again. Plant that in your mind and recall it over and over again. Realize where yielding to sinful lust will lead you, hell. Number two, we've, we've said this, deal with the real cause of your sin. It's an impure heart. It's an impure heart that settles for substitutes for God. What lust is, is basically idolatry. You are substituting the relationship that you are supposed to have, the affections, the desires that you're supposed to have for the living God, for someone. You're objectifying them. You are making them into an idol. What is there in your life that you're putting in place of God that you desire to long for more than God? Is there anything? Deal with the real cause, your heart. Number three, act decisively. As I say, immediately, even though it may be painful, And remember, obedience cannot be negotiated. Obedience cannot be negotiated, nor can heaven and hell. Now is always the right time to do the right thing. Now is always the right time to do the right thing. And that's why I'm saying to you folks, our temptation is always tomorrow. 
I started off today's uh, service intentionally by Psalm 90 by saying that God tells us in the Psalms to number our days aright. You don't know. I don't know if we will get a chance. Do it today. Whatever you need to do, act decisively. Be ruthless with it. Stop playing. Stop playing. It's too important. It's too important. Four. So first, realize we're yielding to sin, and the sin of lust will lead you. Deal with the real cause. Three, act decisively. Four, realize your lust is not the whole of your life, even the main or most important part of your life. Think and understand what you get by abandoning it. Think and understand what you get by abandoning this sin. You get Christ and you get heaven thrown in. Sin is a cruel, cruel taskmaster, and lust is one of its most favorite instruments to keep you and I enslaved. Jesus came to set us free. And this leads me on to my added one. Sinclair gives us four, and I'm going to add a fifth. And the fifth is ultimately this. What we need to do in order to put this sin out of our lives is this. We need to love Jesus more. We need to love Jesus more. I could have stood here today and given you all the statistics around porn. And no doubt that would, have, that would have shocked you, and you'd have been sitting there going, oh, that's, that's, un, that's unbelievable, that's so, so bad. It would have shocked you, and we could have talked about that, and we could have said, right, okay, uh, you know what we need to do, what we need to do, and there's all these, this is so terrible. But ultimately, ultimately, the only thing that will help us in the battle against lust and the battle against this, this sin in our lives is to love Jesus and treasure Jesus more than anything. More than anyone. To love Him. To fix our gaze on Him. That's the only solution. Because when we do that, guess what? Our hearts are transformed and transfixed on Him also and we find freedom. Ultimately, the only thing that will help us in the war against lust is loving Jesus more. Let me read the words of a well-known hymn. My Jesus, I love Thee. Now, if you know, if you are in Christ, say these words with me. And into yourself, not out loud. We don't do that here. Right. Into yourself. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. 
What's the next line? For thee, all the pleasures of sin I resign. Like, I could do a full expository sermon on this, on this hymn. Even in that second line there, do you, do you see what it says? For thee, all the pleasures of sin I resign. No one's saying, no one is, is foolish enough to come in here today and say, oh, these things aren't, sin isn't pleasurable. It is pleasurable. But for Christ, we resign them because we love Him more. Because we love Him more. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior thou art, if ever I love thee, Lord Jesus, tis now. I love thee because thou hast first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I love thee, Lord Jesus, tis now. I love thee in life. I will love thee in death and praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath. And say, when the death dew lies cold on my brow, if ever I loved thee, Lord Jesus, tis now. In ages eternal of endless delight, I'll ever adore thee so glory, so in, in glory so bright. I'll sing with the glittering crown on my brow, if ever I love thee, Lord Jesus, tis now. Let me ask you, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? That is the ultimate question. When we think about anger in the heart, when we think about lust in the heart, it comes down to the same thing. Do we love Jesus? I am not so foolish to not be aware that when we hear a text like this, and, and the only reason, the only reason a tax like this is hard to hear is because it's so plain to understand. The only reason a tax like this is hard to hear is because it's plain to understand. We're all sitting here now and we understand exactly what Jesus is saying. And if you are open at all to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you, I, I can't, you should be convicted. I certainly am. But what we don't want is a load of convicted people not realizing what they have in the Savior. John Newton, I quoted, I put a quote on Facebook this week. It is just, it's, and after we hear a text like this, and after we've heard a sermon like this, these, these should be our words. These should be our, our final words as we move into worship and as we move out through the doors and as we go, we go out into the world today. These, are, these should be our words. I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. So for any of us who have felt convicted by the words of Jesus, no doubt, do what we need to do. 
but there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so come to Him. Confess your sin. And he, we're told in the Scriptures, when we come to Jesus and we confess our sin, He is faithful and just, and He will what? Forgive us for our sin. He will forgive us. And so there is absolutely zero point in sitting in this room today, hearing the words of Jesus, talk to our hearts about lust, feeling convicted of it, and just sitting in that conviction. Pointless exercise. What we need to do is confess our sin to Him, repent of our sin, and turn to Him again in faith, knowing that He forgives our sin, and walk in freedom, and love Jesus. That's what we need to do. So do not, do not walk out through these doors today feeling a sense of condemnation because there is none if you're in Christ. There's a massive difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction is a good thing. Conviction is part of the Holy Spirit's role. It's what He does. There's a massive difference, though, between condemnation and conviction. Conviction leads us to repentance. Condemnation leads us to despair. So repent. Repent. And walk in freedom from lust. I want to pray for us. And then we'll join together in communion. Father, again, you have given us your word, and it is it is convicting. But for those who love Jesus and who are following Jesus, I pray today that you would help them to understand the difference between conviction and condemnation. Lead us, we pray. Lead us by the power of the Holy Spirit to repent of sin. To turn to you in faith again. To have the assurance of our sins forgiven. We need you. We need your grace. We need your compassion because we are indeed great sinners. But you are a great Savior. Father, as we approach the, the table that is set before us. We don't do so lightly, flippantly, but we want to do so with reverence and humility. And so, Father, help us to, as your word says, examine ourselves. and to come before you. In Jesus' name, amen.